Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for November 22nd, 2011. The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. This is the smartest podcast on the entire internet. Let me go around the virtual table and introduce the guys. We have Mr. Jeff Simpson, author of the insightful Simpson on Vegas column on 2A Hard 3. Welcome, Jeff. Greetings, everybody. Dr. Charles S. Monster, Editor-in-Chief at VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? I am making mashed potatoes. I'm up to my nose in stuffing, and I am up to my neck with a turkey. I should have said uh, Chief Baster. Chief Baster, of, yes. yes. I'm Baster. I'm the master Baster. You're a, yeah, you're, you're a professional <laughs> meat baster. Um <laughs> Dr. Dave Schwartz from uh, the director of UNLV Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey, I'm a little irate that Chuck stole my master baster. Oh, I could make it. I was. I had that. As soon as you said baster, I had that to go. And uh, I guess <laughs> great minds really do think alike. Indeed. <laughs> that, that was when I heard the word baster. Indeed. You know, indeed. Now, if we ever do a match game again, right? <laughs> that, you know, baster. Master right there. There we go. <laughs> uh, my name's Hunter Hilligus. I'm at RateVegas.com. And uh, so we don't have any announcements today. We're just going to go right into this special Thanksgiving holiday edition of the Vegas Gang Show. Um, there's a whole bunch of different topics I've got on the list. Our last real show was uh, the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic 1.0 edition, um, which was a lot of fun. I think I can speak for everybody in saying that. Uh, we had a great time, and we want to thank all of you again that were able to come out and hang out with us. And uh, it was a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to doing it again sometime next year. I think. Dude, it was freaking awesome. It wasn't fun. It was awesome. <laughs> it was great. It really worked out well. Uh, thanks again to <laughs> the people at Caesars for um, really helping us out with uh, with the Planet Hollywood stuff. That was really great. They did a great job. We really uh, appreciate that. And, and I, I think you should tease that uh, Chuck's in the process of lining us up with a uh, really special deal and uh, um, sort of all the amenities next year at the uh, at the Western. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We're, we're going to probably talk about the Western here a little bit. Um, so, yeah, thanks again. And then we also did it, uh, one of our sort of – Interview episodes with Jeff that was a couple of weeks ago. That if you haven't heard, that's in the feed as well. Um, so that was also a lot of fun. Thanks again, Jeff, for doing that. That's great. And you're welcome, uh, you're welcome. I would I would say to anyone who hasn't listened, just set aside fifteen twenty minutes and <laughs> uh, you know maybe an hour and listen to it three four times. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's long, um, but there's a lot in there. And uh, so if you're a fan of the show, you definitely should uh, to pick that up if you haven't heard it already. Um, so right off the top, we can talk about uh, potential expansion of gaming into Massachusetts. The governor of Massachusetts signed the law today um, to add casinos to, to, uh, to that state. Uh, there are casinos nearby in Connecticut already. Uh, so it's not like the citizens of 
of Massachusetts have to go too far to get gaming, but they're going to be adding it uh, right there. And um, there are a couple different spots, and there are a couple different sites uh, with some minimum investment required, depending on. I think there are some preordained casino sites, and then uh, a slot parlor site that have different levels of investment. Uh, Jeff, have you been following this story at all? Absolutely, pretty closely. Um, I think the best sort of Las Vegas-centric uh, focus on that story uh, um, was a uh, Howard Stutz column from last Sunday, who uh, he seemed to suggest that there are a few um, very clear favorites, uh, basing it on uh, a couple people in the, uh, the um, analysis business for uh, Wall Street companies who they seem to think Caesars is pretty locked into um, the Boston area casino that um, it was their um, option at Suffolk Downs um, racetrack near Boston, and that um, there's a tribe, um, I think it's the Wampanoag um, tribe, that's likely to get the south of Boston license um, closer to uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island. And then there's a West Massachusetts license that's highly competitive. Um, Ameristar has a site. Um, there's a few other, you know, very significant players, including uh, um, the uh, the tribe from uh, Connecticut that runs Mohegan Sun, um, and I never try and pronounce that tribe's name. Um, and uh, so it's sort of an interesting um, it's it's an interesting competition. The thing that I, you know, I have always said that um, you know Massachusetts, it's a very the people there love to gamble. Um, they, their lottery generates, and, and it had for a long time. I'm not sure if it's still true, but it was a few years ago. They generate more per more money per resident than any other state's lottery, and it's by a lot. It wasn't just a little. Um, so the people love to gamble. Um, it's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons that the two Connecticut casinos have, have done so well. I mean, they obviously pull people from. Uh, um, you know, obviously Connecticut and, and greater New York City, but they do get a lot of people from New England. And, uh, you know, Boston casinos is, you know, you learn in the locals business that proximity is everything. It takes a lot to get people to drive by someone else's casino to come to yours. And, uh, and so I think you will see a significant, um, you know, a significant hit to, the uh, Connecticut casinos once uh, Massachusetts casinos are up and running. And it's, it's expected to take a while, um, but um, they, I guess they get, estimate that the slot parlor, there's also a fourth license for a uh, slot parlor that requires much less investment. I think it's well, just over $100 million as opposed to half a billion or more for the, the big casinos. Um, but the uh, slot parlor could be running within a year or so, they estimate, estimate, and probably a couple of years, um, you know, maybe less for the, the big casinos. Um, you know, Wynn and Sands, um, Stutz wrote, um, appear to have been boxed out of the casinos. I, I know Wynn would like to go into, into Boston, and probably so would Sheldon Adelson. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Wynn has some kind of, you know, uh, um, ace up his sleeve, or in Sheldon's case, maybe it's a uh, hidden contest winner up his sleeve. <laughs> but um, I think that they, uh, you know, those guys 
aren't going to just give up without a fight and try and try and get into the market. I, I know Sheldon has said publicly he downplayed Massachusetts, but um, if you could get the Boston casino um, in a good site, uh, I, I think anybody in the industry would be very interested in that. Dave, any thoughts on how this could or will impact Las Vegas? Um, well, I think it's going to be another example of a city that's a little bit of a feeder market to Las Vegas, opening up casinos. don't think it's going to be that big of an impact because the people who are going to be going there just for the convenience factor are already going to Foxwoods and Mohican Sun. You know, I think the bigger issue for this, for the gaming industry, is how are these licensees going to be picked? Uh, earlier today, I was interviewed by a reporter from the Boston Herald, and I was going on a lot about the need to insulate the selection process from politics, which probably is a naive thing to say. But if you look at what happened in Louisiana and that license and the trouble that that got Governor Edwards in, you know, you kind of – I think that's proof that when you've got these artificial caps and licenses, it's really just like pouring gasoline all over a stack of newspapers and walking around with a lit cigarette. You're just waiting for – you're just begging for trouble there. So especially in a case like this where you've got an extremely constrained market and those licenses, those licenses are worth a lot, wouldn't be surprised if there was at least some kind of charges of corruption or something like that in the process. It's just too much money at stake. Any thoughts about how that's a, it will – That's a great point. Any thoughts about Atlantic City? Will this impact AC? It's gonna, it's gonna probably hurt them even more. But I think Atlantic City long ago wrote off the Boston market. You know, um, yeah. you've had the Connecticut's been going on for almost twenty years now, so that's long gone. Um, so now I don't think it'll hurt them much more than they've already been hurt. Yeah. Geez, they sound like a you know battered spouse or something. <laughs> uh, Chuck, have you ever been to Boston? You know what? I am a born and raised New York City person. I hate Boston. Yeah, well said. I've never been to Boston, so uh, I I'll, maybe I'll go now that they have casinos. It's one of those cities I'll, I've never been to. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm gonna if the casino does open in Boston, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to get 86 so I can say that I was banned in Boston. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's it. I'm imagining like a scene out of The Departed or something with Jack Nicholson like running one of these casinos. I think that'd be very entertaining. Yeah, uh, I think that this is think, that there I is one Dave good thing. Great... Oh, go ahead, John. I, I, I'm I'm going to be real quick. There's one nice thing about about this for the for for customers who live in the Northeast. Now they have an easy uh, Harris to go to to keep their. Uh, reward tier credits alive because if you don't go and gamble there once every six months, you lose your points. So now you don't have to go to AC. So, there you go. Yeah. Jeff, do you have something to say? That, that's, a, that's a very good point for uh, consumers if Caesars gets a license. Um, I think Dave um, really hit um, one of the key, probably the key point that um, people interested in the industry should keep an eye on. He mentioned uh, Louisiana and that was. Uh, you know that's a good, a, a, a great example. I think um, Pennsylvania, the more recent example, another state that um, you know, I think there's been a lot of criticism of their uh, selection process and the uh, seepage of politics. Um, and I use the word seepage because it's usually connected with sewers. Um, and and Detroit um, was another limited license market that. Um, had political influence and uh, cries of foul from frustrated losers. 
So um, I think that um, he's absolutely right. I, I you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the horses are out of the barn or whatever the phrase is with this. I'm not sure how much politics can be kept out of it if their casino control um, group will be able to do that. But um, it certainly would be good and fair if they do. Um, I would have my doubts about Massachusetts's ability to do that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, this is the first uh, step of many here. I mean, it, it's now um, a, a state law, but uh, it's going to be a while before they welcome their first patrons. So it'll be interesting to see who wins the licenses, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it more on future episodes. But for now, we're going to shoot back to Nevada, um, and we're going to talk about Wi-Fi. Um, you know, the Cosmopolitan... When the hotel opened, they uh, made a point to let everybody know that they were offering free Wi-Fi in big parts of the of the complex, especially to the public, which is something that's really not done in many other uh, Las Vegas casinos. There are some pockets of it here and there, but you know, typically it's it's something that uh, is available in the hotel rooms, and they'll sell you for a certain amount of night. Or with the sort of advent of resort fees, it's often uh, sort of the leading feature of a resort fee and their just main justification for charging you an extra nine, 10, 12, 15 bucks a night on top of, uh, your, your nightly rate. So the cosmopolitan decided they were going to remove this free Wi-Fi, And, uh, it's interesting. This got more attention than, uh, I would have imagined. Um, it, it's, uh, people were not happy with this decision. Uh, and you know, that's obvious. You take away something that people are getting for free and, and they're not going to appreciate it, but people were more vocal about it than you might expect for something that, uh, is, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's not like it will break your bank though. Over the course of a trip, it does definitely add up. Dave, you wrote about this in sort of several venues, uh, with sort of several different um, ideas behind what you were writing. What, what's your take on this situation and how people are reacting to it? Yeah, you know, I think if you look strategically at the Cosmopolitan alone, this says something about their whole curious class strategy. The whole point behind the way they built that hotel, and I'm not using the word casino, but hotel or resort, is that they wanted people to come and hang out. And in 2010 slash 2011 slash 2012, if you want people to do that, Wi-Fi really helps. Just walk, going around my own very limited travels in Las Vegas and the metropolitan area, you find free Wi-Fi almost everywhere. You know, if the Henderson libraries can offer free Wi-Fi and they don't charge anything (laughs) to loan books, it's kind of tough to understand how a company that's in the business of getting people to want to stay there and the longer people stay there, the more money they're going to gamble and the more they're going to spend at the, at the restaurants and the bars, you know, why they wouldn't have it. So that's – it's kind of weird. And from the start, the Cosmopolitan was really set up to be this place that was going to, you know, encourage people to stay, hang around, and Wi-Fi is part of that. So that is kind of puzzling. Kind of the other half of what I wanted to write about, the more I started to think about it, is I think this is a bigger thing than the Cosmopolitan. And I think it's the collective myopia of the Strip, people on the Strip, in looking at what Wi-Fi can do for them. You know, if you want – if you're looking at this like it's 1998 and you're charging people for internet access in their room, you know, to hook their huge laptop up with an Ethernet cable – 
you know, yeah, I guess it makes sense because they don't have much of an option. And if you've got the business travelers who have to be getting their PDFs in from Tokyo or, or wherever, yeah, they're going to pay you the $15 a night for it. Looking at it in 2011 where people are used to having free Wi-Fi all over and, you know, might want to do go that so they can do that so they can check their email and send messages and tell people what a great time they're having, you know, it doesn't make as much sense, you know, so – I was saying, trying to figure out how much money they would make from this a year and trying to see, well, how much more play would they need to get from people? You know, for example, working in surveillance, I can tell you there's nothing more miserable than somebody sitting in a casino whose friends are gambling mm-hmm, and they're, right. they don't want to gamble. It's just like there's nothing to do besides stare at, as I said in the article, stare at the pay table in front of you. And those people are just in agony. You know, now compare that and... If the person you're with has any kind of conscience, unless they're completely pathological, they'll be like, yeah, I guess I better cash out now and maybe I can get back later. Compare that to if you've got somebody with even just their phone, they can be streaming their Netflix and watching whatever, you know, Mad Men reruns or something. If if that's me and I'm sitting next to somebody playing and they're bringing me drinks while they're playing, I'm going to want them to keep on playing. And that's got to add up, you know, because I can't think that I'm the only person in the world whose mind works like that where I don't mind sitting down someplace if I'm being entertained. So there's that aspect. The other aspect, which I think is where you really start to push push the envelope here, is using Wi-Fi to demo new games to people. Every – and Chuck can speak to this. You know, at G2E, every opera – every manufacturer had all their mobile platforms, all these apps and stuff. If you're in a casino, why not encourage people to try out the games for free on the apps and then say, hey, find it right here? To me, Wi-Fi in the casino is really going to be part of the infrastructure they're going to set up that's going to be getting people to gamble in the future. And I don't know why we want to do it now. Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on this. I am a major consumer of Wi-Fi wherever I go. Um, And so I run up against these kinds of policies all the time. And it is a very interesting contrast when you compare uh, Las Vegas Strip hotels to your average hotel or Motel 6 or Holiday Inn where it's basically always included. And that's not unique to Las Vegas Strip hotels. Actually, most luxury hotels charge you for this. This is something that – it's just a difference in the way that those um, models work at least today. But man, is it annoying, and especially in cases where they charge you per device. I mean it's not uncommon for people to have more than one device these days that they take with them on vacation between a phone and potentially like a tablet and maybe even a laptop. That may be extreme, but it's not that – it's becoming more common for people to have more than one device, especially if you're traveling with a partner. It's easy – it's an easy thing to, to um, see someone might have – they might have two phones in their room and to charge – 10 or $15 per person per night, it's becoming ridiculous, especially when the service is usually terrible, like really slow and spotty. It's, it's, just, it's just terrible. And so it seems like if you are going to charge for it, you better be uh, providing like the best quality Wi-Fi in the history of mankind. But they don't do that. And I understand they want to charge business customers. That's fine. You know what? Don't have free Wi-Fi in the convention center. Make them pay for it. Most When you book a convention – Book a bunch of convention rooms. They sell you Wi-Fi, internet access as part of that, and you they get they give your group a special code. That's fine. Keep doing that. Those people, they if they're uh, they've decided that there's a a, a um, there's some kind of return on investment for them to have this meeting. They're going to include the cost of that in their 
in their overall um, budget. But to charge to nickel and dime customers for this stuff is ridiculous, especially when you're talking about casino floors that in many cases have spotty 3G and cellular access. There's um, some really, you know, a lot of these places have dead spots or they just don't work at all. To then to not have any communication really pisses people off. I know people that won't go places where they can't stay in communication, whether it's because they're just addicted to Facebook or they're paranoid about being out of touch with their family, or in some cases they have a job where they literally can't be out of touch, right? So this may not be um, everybody that comes to these places, but it's not uncommon either. And so if you've got a spotty cellular network access inside your building, provide them free Wi-Fi. That's another way to make people feel like they're not disconnected from the outside world. Um, in addition to all the things you mentioned, uh, Dave, I mean, I think, you know, I've written about this and spoke on this before. I think that the casinos and the slot manufacturers have done a pretty lousy job so far in integrating new technology into their games um, and coming up with games that interest uh, the, a new generation of potential casino customers. Uh, you know, they're, it, in my opinion, they're, they're still failing in that department. And we've heard of – we've heard – Potentially, some folks are working to change that, but uh, you know, so far we haven't we haven't seen much. And I know I didn't go to G two E this year, so maybe there are some amazing things around the corner. But if it's like server based gaming, it'll be next year for the next ten years. So uh, I don't know. I, I I feel like these the casinos really are nickel and diming on this point. I think they could get a whole lot of goodwill out of providing it, and maybe you know you provide it for free, and then you have a special turbo version that you that people could opt in to pay for. And I bet they might be surprised. I bet you there are some people that would want to pay a little bit of money to get a guaranteed super fast connection. That's, you know, a couple notches beyond the free basic version. Well, the thing that bothers me about this is basically they're ignoring rule number one of casino management, which is keep people in the casino as long as possible. This is going back decades, if not centuries, you know, they're negative expectation games with a slight house bias. You want to keep people in the house as long as possible. If people have to leave your property to check your their email in a timely manner and do whatever they're doing, in addition to, you know, their friends wanting to leave too, you're going to be less profitable. So I, I really don't see a compelling reason outside of that slight bit of incremental income from the convention customers not to do it. And Hunter, you addressed why, you know, discharge in the convention areas or yeah, do the, the turbo service. So yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. This is one of those things that really kind of burns me out. And you know, the cosmopolitan, they, they've had, you know, a lot of financial struggles as they've gone through their first year, obviously they're still losing a ton of money every quarter. Um, I can't imagine that they're, this is going to turn that tide. I mean, the numbers just obviously don't support that, but it, it just feels like, well, you know, how, how serious were they about doing things differently, right? When they opened the property, that was one of their mantras. And there have been a lot of um, evidences of, of that really not necessarily coming to fruition. And this is just another another one we can put on the list of, you know, promises that are potentially unfulfilled. Uh, Chuck, what do you think? You know, when I first heard about it, I uh, I didn't really care. It's like, okay, so what? You know, no big deal. I'm always paranoid about using any free Wi-Fi because uh, it's just – Security concerns. Security because yeah. I'm passing passwords and, you know, all sorts of stuff to the servers of, of VPN, VT, you know, VPN. Yeah. VPN, right. And, you know, as you said, more often than not, it doesn't really work. 
And I, I think Cosmo's strategy, I think I understand it to a degree. They're, they're using the free Wi-Fi initially to, uh, as a marketing tool, you know, not just so, hey, they have free Wi-Fi there, but, you know, people can take pictures and de- and and share the details of the property, right. like those those little hands that have like <laughs> "fuck you" written on them, you know, which now are cased in plastic, or the dice, you know, the 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 portrait of the face that when you get closer <laughs> it becomes a dice, you know, all these other little details that you'd never really see. This is the stuff that you're going to share with people and say, "Oh, this is the Cosmopolitan." Oh, this is the Cosmopolitan. You know, and it created a gigantic amount of brand awareness. You know, it got their 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 art thing, their culture. The details, whatnot, all of that stuff just got shot out into social media and it got the word out in a way that probably blanketing, you know, architectural weekly and uh, Vogue, you know, at a discounted price. They got people to do their advertising before them for them. And now that the word is kind of out, they've established their brand. It, I imagine they probably are looking at this thing and saying, well, people are coming to Marquee and whoever is playing Lamfow is playing and it's, you know, people are just blasting out photos and the bandwidth costs are, could probably stack up pretty huge, you know, after, after a short period of time. So if you look at it versus cost versus, you know, do a basic analysis – what do you get out of it? You know, when they're down sixty million and they're paying, they're blowing a mill or two mill in bandwidth by people using their network. You know, then it's time to cut that off, cut it off, and start making some money on it. If people want to use it, they'll use it. If not, well, you know, oh well, you've got a three G phone, a three G iPad. Well, so. I will say that when I was there this last time, the three G service inside the Cosmopolitan didn't work at all. So it was literally cut off because their Wi-Fi wasn't working either. So it was literally like a black hole, and I just wanted to leave. Right. Um, no, I understand. And cost, the costs aren't inconsequential, though I think at that level they get some pretty good deals and they can factor those in across long term and probably get some pretty good preferent, you know, some 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 better rates than a lot of folks can. Right. There's no I, – I, I think Dave makes an interesting point, but I don't necessarily think I can – put money behind it that somebody to keep your friend sitting at the slot machine while you play, you know, unless there is an actual reason why it, it, it makes financial sense for the waitress, for the bartender, for the cheap rum to keep that guy at the slot machine. The Wi-Fi doesn't have that equivalency. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't do that at this point. Now, what he's saying, what Dave is saying about, about the slots, now that is going to definitely happen. You know, we were talking with the Bally's technology people, and they're talking about how you can take your game. You can save the status of your game on one machine to your phone and then walk over to another machine and transfer it over or walk to another casino and you'll, be, you'll get to start your Michael Jackson game exactly where you left off over there. You know, but of course with different money, but you're still on the same machine. Now, this kind of technology is going to require Wi-Fi. It's going to require all sorts of types of connectivity. So it is going to happen to be the wave of the future. Now, whether or not they let people do things other than, you know, plug their phone into the slot machine remains to be seen. But he's absolutely right with that point. I think 
you know, part of my disappointment also is that I was hoping, you know, these kinds of things, Cosmopolitan potentially showed a chink in the armor here, and the armor being all the strip hotels charging for Wi-Fi. And, uh, you know, I could, I could have seen that as something that could have spread if it was something that, that became clear customers began to demand. Yeah. Um, and clearly now, you know, the chances of that are diminished as they are no longer offering it. They're not George's, though. You know, the hotels are not generous. Between resort fees and all these other add-ons and whatnot, you know, the trend is going the opposite direction, charging more for less as opposed to giving away free stuff. There is no free drinks. There's no free lunch. There's no free Wi-Fi in Vegas. I bet, though, some people use more in water and electricity than they do in Wi-Fi cost. Um, I I just – I don't know. I'm just disappointed by this sort of thing when I see it – when I see it happen, I I, – I guess I would feel a lot better about it if the service that they were selling me worked as advertised and it wasn't um, gouging, which it often is. Yeah. If it, see, it, that part of the problem is it just doesn't – what they are charging doesn't seem fair. I'll just say somebody who's not a huge tech person, you know, when I'm out of town, I might just want to check some emails and stuff like that and having the Wi-Fi really helps. And it's just strange that if – you know, whether you're paying 20 or 30 or 50 bucks a month for your um, internet connection at home, you end up paying the same thing f- like over three days on your vacation. It's like, yeah. oh, I feel like I'm being ripped off here. So there's You that. are being ripped off. Yeah, you are. as a customer. So it's like, eh, I, I would understand paying for it, that nothing's free. If it's just like, okay, two bucks and I get 24 hours, fine. I'm fine with that. That seems fair to me. You know, 15 bucks for a day on one device. Plus, you know, even me, like not even being that, big of a tech person, I easily could have like three devices that I want to have a Wi-Fi connection for yeah. in my family. So it's like, mm, if that's where I am, I imagine the really tech-savvy people are way ahead of that. So, I, think, yeah. I think a lot of this is just, you know, the, ho- the hotels are, are behind the curve when it comes to realizing the way people are using technology has changed. Um, and ultimately, I think some of these things they will have to react to. I don't, people will not stand for per device $15 a night charges forever. I mean, that just won't work. So eventually some, something's going to have to give, it may not ever be free, uh, but they're, they're going to have to change some of these policies because people aren't going to, aren't just aren't going to, aren't going to go for some of these things as multi, you know, in, individual multi device becomes even, you know, it becomes more and more prevalent. Yeah. Or you'll just spend a couple hours and go down to Macy's and Get the free Wi-Fi there, or wherever else, or Starbucks, or McDonald's. Wherever else has it? Yeah, McDonald's, or yeah, <laughs> any of the other places, any other other businesses that seem to be doing well and seem to be able to find a way to work this into their cost structures. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens with the Wi-Fi. Uh, if they made it work fine, I would be way way less irritated about it. Um, a couple, thi- a couple yeah, things Jeff. on Wi-Fi. Yeah, tell, um, tell us about your Wi-Fi all, love. I th- I- I really enjoyed um, both of Dr. Day's Vegas 7 piece and then his uh, blog post on 2A Hard 3. Um, I think they were they were really um, awesome. I think that, uh, you know, the example of the non-playing uh, significant other or buddy or whatever, I think, is really a good one. Um, and I think that um, sometimes... Um, and this sort of ties in with what Chuck said. Chuck, you know, apparently, and and I, I can't I can't disagree with Chuck. He's got to be right because there's no reason for them to take it away unless 
they have some kind of internal cost-benefit analysis that makes them think it's it's uh, you know more um, financially sound to not give it away anymore. Um, but a lot of times, I think people in the industry that do these cost-benefit analyses um, don't take all the benefits into account and don't properly understand um, the costs. Um, and I, I think that um, this is such a case. Um, you know, it really was a way um, for Cosmopolitan to stand out from the competition. Um, and I think that, you know, when they established that brand, you know, the curious class, um, if there's any customer group in Las Vegas, um, and, and maybe I'll, you know, I could say the Hard Rock or the Palms might be possible exceptions because of their clientele skewing younger, but certainly the Cosmopolitan's um, audience must be as tech savvy and as um, and and users of um, Wi-Fi as any other property in town. And so, you know, that had to have been a decent selling point. Now, I don't know what kind of market research they've done or customer surveys and, you know, stuff like that. Presumably, if they're not incredibly stupid, they did some of that. But, um, you know, I, I just think that a lot of times they can, you know, they'll, you know, they even internally, they'll say, well, we, 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 we analyzed it and it's costing us more than we're getting out of it. Um, I think... A lot of times that's because they don't put all the right information into the mix when they make their decision. Um, I think Dr. Dave um, had some great points. And I, I just think, um, you know, it looks to me like another property that's sort of flailing around um, as they um, contend with um, their half of a casino resort that um, is not living up to um, their hopes. And, you know, a you know, a lot of times decisions made under that kind of pressure are not the best. Um, we've seen it many times in the past. So um, there are great articles, great discussions so far on two-way hard three. And, uh, you know, I, for, as for Cosmopolitan, I, I, I continue to be unimpressed by... Uh, you know, by, I like a lot of what they do, but I'm unimpressed by uh, um, much of what they do as well. All right. Well, I think we've talked enough about Wi-Fi for now. Um, people that don't care about this are probably tuned out 10 minutes ago. Um, but uh, let's let's move on. There was an interesting um, acquisition announcement since our last show, which was uh, Morgan's Hotel Group, who famously took a bath on the Hard Rock and had to exit the Las Vegas market, is buying – You know, basically buying the Light Group. I think they're buying 90 percent. Uh, so they're definitely going to be controlling the Light Group. Um and uh, the uh, Light Group CEO is going to be on the board of, of Morgan's. So, you know, Morgan's has a bunch of hip and trendy hotels in a lot of other cities in the United States. And I, I'm not totally up with their portfolio, probably in other parts of the world, too. Um, so now they're going to be controlling these nightlife properties. Now, actually, I thought this was interesting for a couple of reasons. One was they talked about the Light Group's uh, revenue – and for for a company that has as many venues as they do, it seemed very low to me, considering what Wynn is boasting excess and tryst make in a year. 
Um, I think they were saying that the Light Group made like $45 million last year. Uh, does that, considering when Wynn is always saying how, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's boasting about some of the crazy numbers that they put up at Access and Trist, definitely higher than that. Seven. It was seven point seven million. Okay. In Light Group, their cash flow for the year. That, so it's even lower than I, that. Was their cash flow? So, um, <laughs> I mean, does that that's kind of surprised me? Maybe that's maybe I'm alone in that. We don't me. know what their split is with uh, MGM, with right? So it may be that they just have tough deals and they're giving a lot of that away. But anyway, um, it's interesting. You know, Morgan's has decided they want to make a big nightlife play. They're taking over. You know, one of, if not arguably, the most visible nightlife operator in in town, which has got a ton of a ton of places. Some doing better than others. Um, you know, how does this impact? We've seen some changes. MGM has been doing deals with some other nightlife operators, SBE specifically at Bellagio. And uh, how, how does this influence? Does this is is this an exit strategy for? Like group folks for a company in decline, or is this just a natural part, uh, sort of a natural progression of um, consolidation and and uh, sort of a normal course of doing business? Any opinions? Well, M- MGM should probably, you know, based on their, you know, Morgan's reverse Midas touch in Las Vegas, um, you know, they should probably, uh, you know, run from the deal, um, you know, and and we'll probably start seeing. Uh, you know, even though they have a new one on board, you know, up, you know, in line, and um, you know, but not all MGM deals are with them. I think uh, LAX at Luxor, which has not proven to be a long, um, you know, a long-standing success. Um, I think they're operated by the folks who did Pure yeah. Caesars, if I remember correctly, and you know, they have some other deals that they've done in the past, and that I'm sure they'll do in the future. So it's not like, and, and, and obviously they have the, you know, the Nazarian uh, folks at Bellagio and the old uh, um, Fontana Lounge. Um, I think that, you know, Morgan's, we shouldn't forget that Morgan's was a significant partner um, in Echelon. Right. With Boyd Gaming, they were supposed to do a couple of the boutique hotels. They quickly didn't have enough cash to build um, their part of that, uh, th- that property. Um, and... Um, I think, you know, they, they've proven to be colossal failures in town. They have some nice hotel assets around the country. Um, but, you know, and they, for some reason, they seem to have this demand um, to be in Las Vegas um, in one way or another. Um, so far, it's proven to be uh, catastrophic for them. Um, and they've made some very horrible decisions in terms of personnel and what they're allowed to go on at their, at their property. When it was, you know, the Hard Rock. So, um, I would not be excited if I were MGM Resorts in terms of this, um, you know, being partnered instead of being partnered with the Light Group, who've, you know, apparently been reasonably successful at most of the things they've done in town. Um, it's a fleeting business where uh, what's popular today is right. necessarily popular in a year or two. Right. Um, I, if I were MGM, I'd be concerned. Um, if I were the light group people who were, you know, who, you know, they obviously cashed out and made some money um, on this deal or have the potential to make money. I know they took some ownership of Morgan, some kind of, you know, I wouldn't be so confident. And I, I don't know how much that's going to be worth now or later. But, uh, you know, I mean, I just, I, I would just say that I view that deal with um, a, a lot of, uh, 
you know, I'm very wary about it, and I don't, I, I, I don't know, necessarily know what to expect. But you know, when you have a, a, a entity with a record of failure that Morgan's had in the market, um, I gotta think it doesn't exactly bring a shine to any of the entities who are involved with them or, you know, now. So Light Group, MGM Resorts, you know, I don't view it as, view it as a positive for any of them. Yeah, you know, um, the other thing that I didn't see mentioned in the coverage that I read was my recollection is that Dubai World bought half of the Light Group in, like, 2007 or six or yeah. somewhere. So did, is Morgan's buying that, or did they did that deal never get consummated? or that did, how, how, how do they figure into this? Does anybody know? <clears throat> I saw that I too when know. I was yeah when I was looking at the uh, the Light Group website they had that press release on there saying that uh, some it wasn't uh, it wasn't Infinity World but it was another investment oh, okay. group out of out of uh, out of Dubai had bought fifty percent of the company but there was no mention of it after that about whether it kept going or right. or what I know there was also talk that. Uh, Cirque du Soleil bought ten percent at some point as well, so maybe they don't have any either. They sold it, or they didn't buy it, or yeah. it's just the gold lounge, or who knows? Yeah, it's just not very clear from these these stories about the Morgan's deal what happened in mm-hmm. some of those other deals. Uh, but I mean, Chuck, you know, you you are may not be a clubber yourself, but you definitely cover nightclubs and nightlife on Vegas shipping. What do you think about this deal? I, you know, I have been thinking, just kind of feeling for a while since since the Harmon thing, uh, that Light Group has kind of lost its focus. Like they were on the path to kind of grow into becoming their own hotel brand. And it seems like since that thing sort of collapsed, there was that rumor that Light Group was going to buy Monte Carlo, uh, which proved out to be false. But like, why did why did Light Group not take advantage of the Fontana Lounge? Why did why did MGM not just get them right in there since they already have two other joints in Bellagio, right? And then they wanted that Sahara customer list. You think that's what it was? Yeah. No, I don't. That was that, that was not. Apparently, that wasn't dripping with as much sarcasm as it needed. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm a little slow today, but. Uh, between that and also they're they're at the Mirage, they're partnering with Light Group is partnering with the Butter Group from New York right. to to do the Lily Lounge. You know, it, no, it's no, wait. Se- Lily Lounge is at Bellagio, right? I felt the Lil- no. I'm sorry. It's the it's the uh, one of what, a kind uh, is at Mirage. Mirage. I'm getting my lounges confused. You mean Tennis King? Tennis King. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it seems like. You know they've they've diluted themselves to a degree because they're even subpartnering now, and and MGM's not contracting them to give them. You know why not? Why would you want to have them? Maybe you know, MGM wants to have SBE and uh, Light Group doing competition under one roof, but it seems like why would they want to do that? Yeah. I don't know. It just it, there's just a lot of questions in here that don't necessarily make a lot of sense to me. And I mean, it's interesting. We saw the nine group kind of implode with yeah. at the Palms and their whole operation. And now, obviously, he's over at Wynn doing not just uh, La Cave, but supposedly going to be taking over Switch. 
Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see these the way that that market, you know, as as fickle as the customers are, it seems like the management's moving around just as much. Angel management also rolled up with Pure Entertainment <clears throat> right. like earlier this year. You know, there's definitely some big tectonic kind of changes happening here, and it'll be, I'm really curious to see what happens with with the Light Group. The Morgan's deal. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a part of the sort of an adjunct to the casino industry that I definitely don't follow as closely and don't know the players as in depth as on the casino side. So um, I'm always interested to hear what people think and what they know about these sorts of things. But $7.7 million doesn't make sense, man. The cash has got to be like flowing out of a bathtub somewhere. Yeah, that doesn't, I mean, I don't know. I, the, the numbers that I've seen associated with the deal don't make any sense. And so it's it, either there's something seriously wrong yeah. or um, or there's just some part of the deal that is not public that uh, would, would make everything add up. But it, If they're marking up a, a $25,000 bottle of champagne for, you know, for a quarter of a million dollars and they're only making $7.7 million a year – What's wrong with this picture? They're not paying MGM that much. It doesn't make sense. Unless, and if so, why yeah. wouldn't MGM just absorb them and take all the risk too? Because there is no risk. Right. I, there's definitely some part of that whole equation that isn't balancing out. And who knows? Maybe um, you know. Maybe the people running the company were just taking a ton of money out of it and paying themselves, you know, insanely huge salaries. I mean, I guess that's possible. It's probably it. Um, but uh, it it's. Uh, the numbers didn't seem to – when you hear about how successful nightlife is at other places, you know, like Tao and the Wind places and Marquee, there should be more money in that piggy bank. Um, speaking of people that have no money in the piggy bank, the Western is closing. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but, uh, you know, this is a downtown property that is a little bit off the beaten path and is not really known as – the world's most pleasant place to visit. There are people that love it, but it's typically, uh, you know, smoke filled and kind of dirty. And, um, is this a big deal? They're going to ask, they're going to be closing in January. It's the same folks that own some other properties downtown. Uh, they claim the sort of the announcement, the press release is like vaguely implied that they'd be redeveloping the site in the future. But that seems like total bullshit to me. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Is is this a significant hit for downtown, or will no, or will anyone even notice? Well, I don't think it's a significant hit, and I'm going to say I thought when they closed the plaza to redevelop that, I thought that was total bullshit. And I think I even said maybe in the RJ, well, yeah, it's probably never going to open, and then I was proved wrong. So right. you never know. You know, I think a lot of it hinges, and I said this somewhere. I don't know where. Or who I said it to, but I remember saying this. It might have been in a dream, in which case <laughs> the world is hearing it for the first time. But sorry if you've heard this before. But basically, you know, that area is kind of in a transition right now, that East Fremont, where it could go one way or the other, where either once Zappos moves in around there, it does, you know, kind of provoke a lot more development. You do have people spending a lot more money down there, in which case the Western would be in kind of a, a valuable place to redevelop for some kind of higher use or if not it just kind of goes the other way and fizzles and decays in which case the casino probably wouldn't be doing that well anyway so i think it makes a lot of sense from a financial point with the point of view what they're doing although i feel sorry for the people who had jobs there hopefully they sure. can find them other jobs you would hope, you know, hope. 
I, I think it's not a big deal like Dr. Dave. I think that, uh, you know, its highest and best use right now is probably, uh, you know, waiting for redevelopment to reach it <laughs> in the future. Um, I covered in, uh, boy, it's uh, more than nine years ago, almost 10 years ago, um, in 2002, when uh, um, the representatives of Jackie Gon, whose um, operations owned the Western at the time, they had just negotiated a culinary contract. And, uh, you know, they, they, they were already probably um, losing a little money at the Western, and the new contract, I think they thought, would make it even more difficult for them to... Uh, try and break even or better and they announced they were going to close it and then um you know michael gone said that jackie prevailed on him to uh make an effort to uh keep it open and it, out of concern for the employees and quite frankly i'm surprised it stayed open as long as it has um i you know my my gut feeling is that that property is just uh you know like that world war ii movie um about uh um, the parachute operation into Belgium, a bridge too far. I think that casino is is too far from that redevelopment district, and it's you know it's not like a pleasant walk at during clubbing hours, right? To go from the El Cortez. It's like make uh, sure you're armed. You know, across, yeah, right. <laughs> or uh, or walking alongside a slow moving police car. Um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a. Uh, it's 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 a it's a troubled neighborhood, but one that could eventually, um, you know, gentrify in some way. So um, I think that you know the property owners have not done you know they've done almost nothing with it, um, but you know owning it and holding it, um, getting rid of the uh, the red the red effect on their uh, bottom line probably a good thing. It's sad for the people who've worked there, but. They really have, uh, you know, gotten sort of lucky over the last decade that their old, their former owner uh, made an effort to keep it open. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's not a place that, you know, the only reason I go there is to take people and show them, you know, like what I call, you know, the, one of the grittiest places in Las Vegas. Um, there's a couple up, you know, up Las Vegas Boulevard in uh in North Las Vegas that might contend with it on a night-for-night basis. Um, you know, the Silver Nugget or the Opera House and some of those aren't, are, can get sort of gritty as well. But the Western day in and day out is the toughest, worst casino in town. So, um, you know, I don't think it's, um, you know, historically really significant property. I don't, and, and I don't think the visitors, you know, marginally, you know, the, the hotel rooms have been closed, but maybe it'll be good for the rest of downtown gaming capacity. People go to, you know, the other places, whatever, you know, revenue that place did generate. It has, you know, like I said, it hasn't had a hotel for a while. Um, and an anecdote about the Western, when I was reporting on um, how the place was announced to close, and then like a day later, uh, Michael Gahn said his dad, you know, was going to keep it open. Um, I went down to the property to uh, interview folks who work there and, uh, you know, sort of doing it on the sly because that's not the kind of story that they're going to, you know, encourage a reporter to come in and mingle with the staff. But I went back to the hotel registration desk and it's uh, it was slightly different from the uh, check-in experience at the Wynn. Um, their their like sort of wooden desk that they used to check people in was covered with all kinds of like 
you know, wanted posters and big signs saying that, you know, your car will be, its license plates are going to be run through the Metro PD system. And if you're a criminal, be aware that you're going to be, you're going to be, you know, nabbed because, you know, we, we really pay close attention to who's on our property. And, you know, so it's pretty hilarious. Um, you know, what kind of a vibe that place had before they closed the hotel. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to quite say good riddance because people's jobs are involved, but if there weren't, good riddance. Fair enough. Um, you know, I never developed much of a love for the property, so um, I personally won't miss it. But yes, definitely. Uh, and it, it, people that were there that were working, hopefully, you know, since the company owns other properties, they can redistribute them. Um, to other places, it's you know definitely. I guess this place isn't closing till January, but losing your job at any point in time is is uh, a really rough thing to go through. So in that sense, I definitely don't uh, in, don't welcome it. But um, it's not on a on a tourist level, not something that that I'll miss. And I never added it to Vegas, mate. So it's one thing I won't have to do. I checked it off my list. Uh, I don't have to go there and take pictures of it. So that's one one thing I get to check off my list. Um, Thanksgiving is on Thursday. This is uh, it's, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, and, and so the United States uh, celebrates Thanksgiving on on Thursday. And in the spirit of Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we are thankful for as it comes to Las Vegas and Las Vegas tourism. Uh, Jeff, you wrote a post about this. Your last Simpson and Vegas column was um, about some of the things that both casino executives and tourists should be thankful for. So I, before we go, we're going to go around and we're going to share some of the things that we're thankful for as they may or may not relate to Las Vegas. But Jeff, why don't, can you, Tell talk a little bit about your post, and um, I don't know if you've got uh, one or two things that you think really stand out that you could pull out. There was there's it's a sort of in a list format, but if there's one or two things that you think are especially important, maybe pull those out and share them with us. Well, I you know, and I think that um, both consumers and owners um, have a lot to be thankful for. Um, you know, if you think about where we were. A few years ago, um, in terms of the ownership side of that um, thought process, um, it was it was pretty grim. Um, on, on the other hand, um, for consumers, um, things may have even been better um, if they were among the lucky ones who still had uh, you know good incomes or good good uh, you know small businesses or whatever it was that provided the uh, money that you know brought them to Vegas. So. Um, so things have been, have remained, I think, pretty good for consumers. Um, and I think that the, the room glut, um, remains. And so that's a positive for consumers. Um, and on the, uh, for the casino side, I think, uh, you know, the two big things that come to mind would be the quickly rebounding, quickly strengthening convention business. Um, I, it props up midweek room rates, which were which have been exceptionally soft before, you know, the last year or so, and uh, and so that that's a big positive. And then a lot of the young things, the young person connected things, the changing culture, sort of driving new business to, um, you know, the pool clubs 
to nightclubs and to, you know, die, um, you know, the sort of the foodie phenomenon. So those would be the things that come to mind as the most, the most obvious things that people should be thankful for. But, you know, there's a lot more. Um, but I think it's always, you know, it's always a good thing to think about things that are, uh, that are positive. So when it comes to you, Jeff, and it comes to Las Vegas and casinos, what are you thankful for? You know, what I'm thankful for, I think, is, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the thing, I, the thing that I'm most thankful for is that I live in Las Vegas. Um, when I, um, you know, when I lived in California, um, when I lived in Florida, you know, California, it's easy to get here, and I came here a lot. When I lived in Florida, and, you know, so many people in the United States don't live in driving distance of Las Vegas, um, and within driving distance. And so, you know, for me, it was a question of, you know, um, you know, having to buy round trip airfare and, uh, you know, sort of trying to time my flight at a time when I could afford to come to Las Vegas. Um, and so I think that, you know, I, I love the city and I love, you know, going to, going to places here. And so just in living here, um, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, it's a, you know, if you live in Las Vegas, you know, there is life beyond the Strip, and we don't live in the Strip hotels, and all of that is true. Um, you know, there are many weeks when I don't go onto the Strip, but I would say more often than not, I do. But I love being so close that I can go at any time I want. Um, we also have those same kind of amenities in the locals' market, so I'm thankful I live here. It's a great, it's a great city, um, and we have some uh, really cool places that um, a lot of other folks are interested in too. Yeah, I know. I think that's a great one, you know, especially you hear Las Vegas disparaged a lot, um, especially recently, you know, it's taken the brunt of these of the mortgage crisis with a lot of foreclosures and it. So it ends up in a lot of national news stories as uh, on mentioned in, you know, with a negative connotation. So it's always nice to hear somebody that says, hey, I live here and I love it. So, you know, deal with it. <laughs> um, Dr. Schwartz, what about you? Dave is muted himself, I'm guessing. Or not. Dave has passed into the... I'm, am I here? Oh, you're here. You're a little... I'm here, okay. You're is a little... It... Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. Uh, let me call you Let me call you right back, Dave. I'm still breaking up? Yeah, let me call you. I'm going to hang okay. up and you call you right okay. back. Okay. Okay. Do, 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 do. That happens with Skype sometimes, ladies and gentlemen. This is the joy of Skype. Um... It's just the way things go, but oftentimes... Uh, All right, here I am. Yeah, you're back. You sound you totally hear? better. Yep. Oh, that's man. just the way Skype goes. That's okay. Freaking Skype. Yeah, that's okay. okay. You know, we will re- return it for a full refund. <laughs> uh, okay, so I was I... calling on you. Uh, anything you have that you're thankful for, you know, as it may relate to our uh, our calling here at the Vegas Gang? Yeah, I want to throw out a couple of things here. You know, first of all, obviously, I'm very thankful for my wonderful family. Second of all, I'm going to double down what Jeff said. I'm really glad to be living in Vegas right now. This city's been really good to me, and I've gotten a lot of opportunities here. And I know it's not perfect, you know, but what is? I don't think anywhere is. And uh, I'm just amazed at the stuff I get to do. And uh, the fact that I get to write about something I find really interesting and uh, do research on that is awesome. Finally, I'm going to say I'm really grateful and thankful for guys like you and Jeff and Chuck 
and everyone involved with Vegas gang and everyone involved with the Vegas internet mafia, um, both people participating and people who reading, who read and, and listen, because it's really great to be able to share my work with a bunch of people who are also passionate about it and care. And I can't even think about how dismal my work would be if I didn't have people to share this with in, in so many ways. So thanks. Thank you to everybody. Excellent. Excellent. No, I, I think that's great. I agree. Um, Mr. Monster, any thoughts? Well, you know, I, I definitely gonna gonna put all my chips behind what Dave just said, and I'll never be able to say it as eloquently as he did. Without uh, you guys who are here with me right now on the on the line, and everybody who's listening, and everybody who reads all of our websites and comes to our stupid events and stuff, I don't even know what I would be doing with myself. I'd probably be, uh, I don't know, moping. <laughs> But in addition to that, I, I think uh, I, I want to uh, be thankful to the independent spirit. It's the people who do the crazy things, um, the ones who think that they can open a casino, the ones who think they can start a business, the ones who think they can do something different because they think that that's what has to be done and that's what's right. Uh, specifically – you know, I'm I'm thankful for the cosmopolitan, even though I've had a, a a run of kind of shitty luck in dealing with their hotel room. I'm I'm glad it's there. I'm really glad it exists exists, and it's it's kind of shaken the business for for tourists and for people involved in the business in a, in a pretty profound way in the last year. Whether uh, you know I patronize a lot of the things that they do or not, it doesn't really matter. But the fact that they're trying to do something different, I really, really appreciate that in a, in a world that's kind of become more homogenized over, over the last few years. Yeah, you know, Chuck, I think that's um, a, a great one. As It's funny, before you got to the word cosmopolitan, as you were sort of talking about people that have sort of the conviction and and sort of are crazy enough to want to start uh, an enterprise like that. I, I was actually thinking of Unwin, and as hard of a time as I've given him, and we all have, and we've, and you know, rightfully so, he's he's in charge of a large enterprise that still has a long way to go. But I I definitely, in talking with him and seeing some of his other interviews, I really uh, definitely got the sense that he. Um, you know he he believes in what he's doing, and it, you know it's funny to say that about uh, a, a money making operation like a, a casino, right? It's not like he's curing cancer, but it 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 takes a lot of it. It's it's a bold initiative to start to be an independent sort of upstart, and they're showing you know their results so far have shown it's hard, but they're um, they seem to be sort of powering through it, and who knows what'll happen? But I I agree with you. I think that there is. Uh, a lot to be said for for energetically going in every day and trying to make it work. Uh, so I think that's that's great. Um, you know, I I get like like some of the other folks. I would I would mention um, the everybody that came out to support the show and everyone that listens and everyone that reads and anyone anyone that does ever, that participates in any way. I mean, it's humbling to realize that someone will jump on an airplane from half maybe in some cases halfway around the world to come to see an event that you helped put together. Uh, 
it, that's there's responsibility there, but it's just it's a great feeling to know that people care and that uh, there are like-minded individuals that want to take you know time away from their jobs in some cases their families and you spend their hard-earned money to be a part of it. It's it's pretty amazing, and so you know I it, it's just great to be able to be a part of that, and um, so I, I can't say how much I appreciate everybody that participates in this little sort of uh, hodgepodge community that we're all a part of. Um, the other side of it is I am just thankful for Las Vegas. You know, I have had my ups and downs with the city in terms of my interest and burnout and enthusiasm and burnout and enthusiasm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, 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 but what's, what, what I appreciate is that, there's that feeling that I get when I kind of drive over the hill, you're on the 15 and you kind of crest over the hill and you see the strip for the first time. Or when you walk into the casino and you hear those slot machines going and you hear the people over at the craps pit, it's just, it's this feeling of energy that is in my opinion, unlike any other. And no matter how bad my day has been or how crappy my work month has been or however many things are weighing on my mind, it is always a great relief and makes me smile. I don't know. There's something about it that is sort of hardwired into my brain. Um, and so I'm, I'm just thankful f- for that, that, uh, it, that I, it, that Las Vegas reminds me how to have fun in a world that sometimes isn't always a lot of fun. So definitely thankful for that. Thankful for all you guys. The show is a ton of fun. I love doing it. Um, I'm glad that we all we get to do it. I'm glad that people listen. So, you know, for all of you guys out there in internet land, thank you to you. Thanks for listening. And uh, we really appreciate it. But we're not done yet. We're going to do our normal uh, Sure Bets segment where we can endorse something. You know, we're going into the holiday season. So it's, it's gift-giving time. It's, you know, people do holiday activities. So there's potentially a wealth of potential uh, ideas for making recommendations to you folks out there. Um, so we just did some thankfulness stuff, but we're going to, now we're going to encourage you to, you know, go out and follow in our footsteps and do something. So let's see. Uh, I'll get Jeff. I guess I'll start with you again. Do you have anything for us today? Yeah, I'd like to uh, um, talk about something that has probably been underreported in the, uh, in the business world, but I think really, uh, is, a, is an important thing for the folks, a lot of the folks who uh, listen to the podcast and, um, you know, follow the work on Chuck and Hunter's blogs and follow uh, Dave's writing and my writing. Um, for visitors to Las Vegas who are looking at, you know, sort of uh, the range of choices they have when they come to town, um, you know, there's usually, sometimes people think of a bright line between strip properties and locals' properties. And when when a few people have said, oh, there's properties that are sort of hybrids, uh, you know, like George, George Maloof's Palms or whatever, um, and, and that is truly a hybrid. It, it attracts um, both the tourist market and locals. But I think there's another kind of hybrid um, that has been underreported but um, is, is very significant in terms of the business operations of the properties and in terms of great casino um, enjoyment and opportunity for consumers. 
And that's the type of locals casino, particularly, um, I would say, the Orleans, the South Point, um, that have, you know, a couple thousand hotel rooms that, you know, ranks it with some of the, you know, mid-tier and lower strip properties, but that have significant convention space uh, and and all the casino amenities or almost all the casino amenities that you would get in a strip property, plus more, including movie theaters, um, you know, really substantial and easy uh, parking um, and, um, you know, re- real good uh Real good sports book, sometimes bowling alley, both in, in the uh, South Point's case, bowling alley. Um, so there's a lot of great things for people. Uh oh. Jeff. Oh, all right. Well, let me call Jeff back. This is a day of Skype joy. Wow. Uh, you know, it happens. This is, it's, it's Thanksgiving week. People are, Calling their relatives and yeah, I don't know why I always make it a habit for that to happen. Yeah, I don't know. You were talking. <laughs> you were. I think we lost you on bowling alleys. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was saying is there's a lot of great amenities at these properties, and there's a lot of rooms. Um, so for convention groups and for people who stay there, I think that those are under. Um, it, there's a, there's a lack of recognition of how you know a lot of people keep talking about how the locals market it's. It sucks. You know, there's not enough business. Las Vegas don't have money to gamble. But there are what are considered to be locals casinos that are really more hybrid, that have substantial numbers of tourists staying there, substantial numbers of of convention visitors there. And in particular, I would point to um, the Orleans and South Point, but there's other examples, um, you know, to a lesser that are close to, um, drive-in markets, you know, uh, um, off 95 and uh, Boulder Highway, there's Samstown and Boulder Station. Those are, they're much less so than um, Orleans and South Point. But I think that that, that um, it would be a good thing for people to recognize that the locals market that is challenged in Las Vegas is not monolithic, that there are elements of that market that are um, doing much better in line with how properties that are tourist-based on the Strip are doing. And that, you know, we I think that reporters in particular and even people in the industry need a little more nuance in the way that they appraise the locals market. Um, it's much more differentiated, I think, than uh, people give it credit for. Fair enough. Uh, Mr. Chuck, anything to share within it as an endorsement for our good listeners? Yeah, I uh, I got this new phone. <laughs> and uh, I haven't gotten a phone in a couple of years. I got this new phone, this new phone from Apple. Maybe you've heard about it. <laughs> but it's got this cool little thing on it where you press this button and, and it does this. And you say, oh, wait, oops, wait. Oh, wait, hello. What? Huh? What's going on? What you mean by? <laughs> Great demo. What's the bet? What's the- <laughs> Shh, I just gotta stop talking. Wait, wait hold on. Um, what's the best hotel in Las Vegas? What's the best hotel in Las Vegas? I found a number of hotels in Las Vegas, Nevada. I've sorted them by rating. And the winner is, according to Siri, win Las Vegas. I'm gonna. File a bug with Apple because she pronounces Nevada wrong. 
Yeah, so that's my endorsement. This thing with the Siri is pretty freaking amazing. I, uh, this is the future. This is the way of the future for hopefully every device in the world. Now, I've got this the thing that talks to you in the car, but it doesn't work nearly as well as this. This uh, I, I'm, I, I wish I could plug Siri into everything. TV sets, cars, you name it. So Yeah. yeah. Well, I think – it, I think that we'll definitely, to put on my technology prediction hat for a minute, I think we'll definitely see a lot more of it, not just from Apple, but from other people. Um, so I think your wish will be fulfilled. I have a 4S also. I, I like Siri a lot. I um, I like to be able to tell it to remind me to you know get uh, beer when I leave my house. It's nice. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Though uh, I think coming from me, I don't know sure how much people would really listen to the recommendation. I kind of have this reputation for just <laughs> liking stuff that Apple makes. Um, so, uh, yes, I think the iPhone 4S is an excellent recommendation, Chuck. Um, Dr. Schwartz, we're back, at, we're back at you. Okay, before I get to my recommendation, i got to ask you guys for some help here. I don't have a 4S, but Mrs. Dr. Dave has one, and I was – Telling her, yeah, the Siri stuff is awesome. The guys are talking about it. It's great. Um, turn it on, and I say, I ask it, how do you use Siri? <laughs> and it just gives me a definition of the word use. Uh-oh. I'm like, ah. Oh. Well, when you, one, so thing you, killed it. one thing you can do is when you when you push the button to engage uh-huh. the Siri thing, you'll notice there's a little eye, a little eye okay. uh, button that you can push. And uh-huh. if you push the eye button, it gives you a whole set of instructions as far as okay. what, you, what you can do with Siri. So I'm surprised that she didn't give you a good answer, but um, yeah. there is built-in help. Okay. I got to – yeah, this is going to take some time for me. And kind of – so my recommendation, being the – I would say probably more on the late adopter side of the curve for a lot of reasons, for a lot of things. In the past couple of weeks, I've really gotten more into e-readers and reading books instead of in print uh-huh. um, digitally and e-publishing. I've been re- – you know, part of it's a little bit self-serving. I've been researching it to get more in the publishing aspect of e-publishing. But as a reader, I've just really enjoyed being able to read books that way. And it's a, there's a lot of a lot of different devices. I've been using a Kindle, yeah. and it's not an exceptionally good one. You know, it's basically their, I guess, mid-market one. And it's pretty cool. It's just pretty cool. So if you haven't tried it before, it's nice to be open-minded, different way to read books, same content, just a lot easier. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, so I, I get that's my that's my sure bet for this week. The, the Kindle is a great, great reading device. And now they have a bunch of different models from uh, button based Kindles to touch based Kindles. And they have a Kindle Fire, which is like sort of like a, a touch based tablet, more like an iPad. But I think the 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 original, the e-ink Kindles are some of their best reading devices because you can read them anywhere. You know, they, they don't, there's no glare if you take them outside and they're really cheap now. I think they have a 79 and a $99 Kindle and they're tiny. They can almost put them in your pocket. So it, they have gotten to the point that they're inexpensive um, and small enough that you can carry them with you without having to worry about them, which just makes them a great way to, to read stuff on the go. So yeah, the Kindles, the Kindles are a great device and they've, Done a great job. Um, I have a couple things I want to say here. <clears throat> uh, on the <laughs> on the Surebet side, uh, I want to I want to first say, Dave, you did an interview with George Maloof that was a Vegas Seven cover story. But um, this the story came out great. But the podcast version of it was really fascinating, uh, and I definitely would recommend anybody that hasn't heard it to go and listen to it because it, it you know he's. 
as we, we, we did an interview with him and I know that, um, you know, you guys have also interviewed him in the past in other contexts. He doesn't always, he's not, he's not always forthcoming. He's, he's, some, he's, he's not the kind of, it's not like a Steve Wynn where you'll just say one thing and he'll talk for two hours. Sometimes it feels like you kind of have to pull things out of him. But the impression I got from this interview was he was very forthcoming and it was, it turned out to be a really good interview, uh, with a lot of interesting info. He seemed like he was being very honest. And so I would highly recommend anybody that's interested in the casino industry to make sure you listen to that interview and we'll put a link in the, in the show notes. Cause I think it was just really very, very fat. It was just fascinating. Um, Thanks. yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I think it came out great. Um, the other half of my sure bet is not really a sure bet. It's more of like an F you, um, <laughs> All right. You, uh, well, now we're talking. Not a regular feature. Yeah, yeah you know, actually, <laughs> we should be more in line with our uh, inclinations. We can maybe change the segment to be like sure bets or fus. Um, I don't know. Fu might be too strong of a term, but I found today I found an app on the App Store, which is basically like a really poorly done copy of Vegas Mate. And you know what? It's not that I don't like competition. There's a ton of other Vegas apps now these days from casino companies and other third parties, and some of them are good and some of them aren't but this is like a blatant ripoff and it's really terrible and dude if you're gonna rip me off just do a better job than me so i have someone so i can steal something from you like ripping me off and doing a piss poor job is just an insult so i am not a fan of dave zizzle from canada uh (laughs) so uh i just wanted to get that out there um been thinking about that today uh so anyway i you know people Copying and stealing stuff is sort of de rigueur for internet, and for it's just kind of part. It goes with the territory. Um, it's it's, and in this case, it's not like he was stealing content or anything. So that would be an entirely different story. It's just uh, you know, it's, do something original. There's a lot of different ways to, to skin a cat, and I'm sure that you can come up with something that is great all on your own, and it would be a lot more interesting than uh, just. <clears throat> trying to copy someone else's work. So, so anyway. F you. <laughs> F you, Dave Zizzle. <laughs> I don't even know you and F you. I, I actually had a business executive in town, I boy, this is about a decade ago, pitch me on a book that would have tentatively been titled Copycat Your Way to Success. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and it involves, you know, finding, like, someone who does something really good and doing the exact same thing. Well, you know, um, you know. <laughs> uh, the, the, biz, the business world is obviously littered with people that have taken other people's ideas. But the successful ones and the interesting ones are the people that do it better. You know, I mean, it, that, sure. that's the difference, right? It's like you take Google. Google didn't blaze any new trails. They just did search way better than anybody else, and that's why they dominated. Apple didn't make the first music player. They just made a better one. And so, you know, I have no problem with someone doing the same thing. And of course I have no control over it. So it's a good thing. I don't have a problem with it, but, uh, it's just copying somebody and doing a poor job and just, I don't know. It's just, I think it's in poor taste personally. I would not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. I can tell already this needs to be a a variety of feature. I think, yeah. (laughs) I think maybe we should change our, our sure bet segment to be optional. You can either recommend something or you can, you know, tell somebody off. Amen. Or well, we could make 2012 the year of the FU. Yeah, there, oh, there you go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right, guys. I think we're going to call it for today. Uh, thank you guys all for being here. Just go around the table one more time so you can tell people where they can find you. Uh, Dr. Dave, we'll start with you. Where can people track you down? 
Um, the best place is my website, dgschwartz.com. Excellent. Um, Mr. Chuck, how can people find you? F you, Hunter! <laughs> F you too, buddy. <laughs> uh, Mr. Jeff Simpson, what about you? On uh, the Rate Vegas blog, two-way hard three, and enjoying life here in the uh, in the city. Excellent. Uh, you can find me uh, at VegasMate.com, Mr. Dave Zizzle, if you want to have a showdown. You know where to find me. Um, and, you know, Canadians don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but for all of our American listeners, you know, happy Thanksgiving. I guess they do they have Thanksgiving there. It's just not the same day, right? I don't know. I don't know anything about Canada. Um, anyway, uh, for people that if you care about Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. And thanks, everybody, for listening and have a great week and weekend. <laughs>